0: I won't take much of your time, but I have to give a word of testimony before I sing the psalm because the song means a lot to me. And two years ago, I had the privilege of being in the first Baptist church in Jacksonville, Florida. And that's a really big church. But that was my last meeting with Eddie Martin. And during my time there, you see, I let working be my mountain. That was the only time I was really on a mountain is when i was sharing jesus christ with others and by the time i had left him and started to tampa on the plane i was realized that i was physically and emotionally exhausted and other people already knew this but i just wouldn't give up and by the time i had gotten to tampa the people who met me they took me down to the beach and i went walking it was nearly nighttime and the praise the lord for one thing that i can see is sunsets and i really enjoy them and you know as the sun went down i thought about how jesus is really in our heart and he should be our he's god's son and he should be shining in our lives always and i had so many questions that day of why god would make me stop doing what i love the most but he showed me that in the valleys he restores our souls
1: when i'm low in the spirit i cry lord lift me up i want to go higher but the Lord knows I can't live off the mountain So he picked out a valley for me He leads me beside still water Somewhere in the valley draws me aside to be tested and tried, but in the valley he restoreth my soul, and it's dark as a dungeon, and the sun seldom shines, and I question, Lord, why must this be? But he tells me there's strength in my sorrows And there's victory in each trial for me He leads me beside still water Somewhere in the valley He draws me aside to be tested and tried. But in the valley, he restores my soul. Yes, in the valley, he restores my soul.
2: King chapter of John, if you will. Someone said in something I read that if the 10th through the 13th chapters of John Laid bare the heart of God the 14th through the 17th chapters of John lay bare the soul of the Son. So that ought to give us some insight into what we're in for in the next few chapters If we see the soul of God opened up in the Sun as he pours out the things the last things that he has to say before he dies then this should help us not only in life but in situations, valley situations, even in death. So I want you to keep one thing in mind—that's uh, a carryover. We're no chapters and verses. I think we all are aware of this. And so somebody came along later and divided chapter 13 and chapter 14. But everybody was in agreement. Every commentary I read was in agreement. That uh, the first few verses of chapter 14 should go with what preceded in chapter 13 So let's just refresh our memories memories and see what happened in the last of the the 13th chapter you remember Judas had already gone out Jesus knew he would betray him and he said go quickly and do what you have to do after he had taken the bread It was obvious that he was the one who would betray his Lord All right, so he goes out and Jesus says the last things to him to uh, the the eleven who were left and he said I must go away I'm going away and where I'm going you can't come now. This is impossible for you to go with me This is a walk. I must walk alone This is a cross. I must bear alone and you can't do it now your turn will come later and then you remember the account of Peter saying, Lord, where are you going? You know, where are you going? Tell me where you're going and I'll go, I'll die, I'll do anything that that I have to do in order to be with you. I don't want to be separated from you. And so if you recall that in between that and the next um, thing that Peter said, Jesus said, gave them that 11th uh, commandment, the new commandment, that you love one another. And he said, this is something I command you. It's not an option, it's a command. I want to remind you of one thing. Jesus never commanded us to do anything that it was impossible for us to do. And so we say it's impossible for us to love like Jesus loved. He would never have commanded that we love one another as I've loved you if it was impossible. So it is possible. We simply have to learn that it's possible through Jesus who lives within us and through us. So it's His love, loving in and through us, that loves uh, each other like He said for us to love each other. If we don't have that, then that's a failure on our part to allow the Lord to, to live actively in our lives. So then the last thing that was in the 13th chapter, was when Peter said uh, I'll die he he just emphasized I'll die I'll do anything but I cannot let you go and Jesus said you'll die Peter you want, you'll deny me before the cock crows thrice tonight, you'll deny me tonight. Now he never dreamed in a million years he would ever do that but Jesus knew what Peter was he knew his love, he knew his weakness and he even said about Peter you know the, the spirit is willing but the flesh is so weak now we identify with that don't we More than almost anything we say we want to do this we want to do that we want to be what he wants us to be and then when the time comes the flesh seems so weak until we seem to be the ones like Peter who falter in so many different ways when we should stand up when when Peter was not with Jesus when Jesus was there physically he was willing to chop off a person's ear You know, he was willing to get out and try to walk on water. He would attempt anything if Jesus was there physically in his presence. But when Jesus wasn't there physically in his presence, a maiden could come up and say, Peter, are you, you know, not calling by name, aren't you one of his? And he'd say, no, no. (laughs) And then she insisted three times, you're one of his, the Galileans. And he said, no, no, and he began to curse. I don't even know him, he said. And it had been just a few hours. He said, I'll die. I will never deny you. I'll die first. But he did. <coughs> he did. He did exactly what he said he wouldn't do. And the lesson there for us is so clear. Be careful when you say what you want to do. Be very carefully when you declare that you will never do this. You will never commit this sin. You will never commit that sin because you're one step closer to committing that very sin. When you think you, you stand, take heed lest you fall. This is what the scriptural warning is to us. Be very careful because any one of us is capable of committing any given sin when the time and the circumstance is right. Our only hope is our hope in Him as we allow Him to control our lives. That's our only Okay, so keep those things in mind. Now, it was in that context Now Peter heard the Lord saying, Peter, you're going to deny me. So his heart must have been troubled, right? Wouldn't you just be in in a state of panic if you thought the Lord was saying to you, and you knew right then you wouldn't do that, and he said, you're going to deny me. His heart must have been so troubled, not only his heart, but the other elevens. Think of what they were going through right now. Their only hope for, for a political kingdom to be set up was in this man Jesus, in the one they put their confidence in. They believed, even the disciples believed in spite of all his teachings and all his telling them, time after time, I am not going to set up a political kingdom now. I'm, I've come as a suffering servant. I've come to die. I will die. I will be crucified, but then I'll be raised again. They never heard any of that. It never sunk into their hearts or into their minds what he was really saying. They still believed up to the very end. That even at the last moment, he would do what they wanted him to do, not what he came to do, what they had decided he had to do. And so they were perplexed. Their hearts were troubled at this point because even one of theirs had gone out, though they didn't know. They knew something was wrong. I'm sure they must have sensed that something was very wrong. And when he went out and Jesus began to give these last discourses on what was about to happen, their hearts must have been so troubled because you hear one after the other begin to ask an anxious question. What are you talking about? Where are you going? Why can't we go with you? How are we going to know how to get there if we don't know the way? One after the other. How is it going to be manifested? See? And that's what happens when you get very anxious. You get very worried. You get very nervous over something. You begin to ask questions. One after the other. How? How? Why? 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 know, You just go into a turmoil trying to get all the answers. No faith. No faith. You know worry and anxiety is the exact opposite of faith and trust did you know that worry and anxiety is the exact opposite of faith and trust and if your life is a picture of anxiety and a picture of nerves you have no faith and no trust to show for what christ has done for you and what he's told you and what he's commanded you and all the things all the promises he's given to you it's the exact opposite of that So we are gauged, or we are our badge as a Christian should be a badge of serenity. It really should be. And the Christian community is filled with nervous wrecks. We've missed something somewhere. We've missed something somewhere. If we're falling apart at the seams, those of us who've been given all the promise of peace, all the promise of rest, all the promise of, of total security in Christ, we've been given that promise. He told us that. And he cannot lie. Now, he never told us anything that can't be an actual happening in our lives. And so, if we don't have that, it's it's really just the same. And this is harsh. But it really is the same as calling him a liar. It really is. It's like saying, I don't believe you. You know, I don't believe you can accomplish that in my life. So, in the midst of that kind of context, he says to them, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you i go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And we hear these words. Have you heard them more at funerals than anywhere else? I don't think I've ever been to a funeral that the preacher didn't somewhere along the way read this passage of Scripture. Let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. You know in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you And we can take that and we can see the first of all he said let not not your hearts be troubled Well, how can your hearts not be troubled at a time like this? How could their hearts not be troubled at a time when they knew their lord and master? Was going to be crucified the next day. Why wouldn't their hearts be troubled and anxious? And when we lose somebody very close to us, why wouldn't our hearts be troubled? You know, how can we keep from being anxious? How can we keep from being troubled at a time like this? He tells us how. He tells us in the very next words how: you believe in God, you trust in God, trust all, trust in me, trust. Stop trying to figure it out. This was one of the sermons last week. Tr- stop trying to figure out how your hearts can go without being troubled. Try. Stop trying to figure out how you can live the Christian life. Stop trying to figure it all out and start trusting. Start trusting. Trust is the key. Trust is the key to an untroubled soul and an untroubled mind. And when you find something, like I said before, when you find somebody whose mind is just totally perplexed and they're disintegrating, unless there's some physical reason, some physical reason that can't be helped that's affecting their brain cells, it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust. It's a lack of confidence in the Word of God. That's what it is. Call it what you want to. That's exactly what it is. He said, the way for your tr- hearts not to be troubled, the way for you to have rest, set your troubled hearts at rest. You trust in God, and they did. They believed in God, see. He said, now there's one more step. You go a step further. Trust in his son. And they're going to find some things within the next 24 hours they're going to need to trust in. They're going to trust. have to trust in, in the blood that's shed on that cross for their salvation. They're going to have to trust that. You don't understand it, I don't understand it. I have no earthly idea how a person can claim the blood of Jesus Christ can come to a cross that was 2,000 years ago, but it's still as real today as it was 2,000 years ago, and I can come to that cross and, uh, by simple faith and trust and confidence in what was performed there that day, and that that blood was God's pure blood, and it covered my sins past, present, and future. I can claim that, I can receive Him, Into my heart. Receive him into my heart. And the scripture tells me, because of what I did that day, I am born again. I have the power to become a child of God. It says that. Now, how am I going to have this? I'm going to have to trust in Jesus. I'm going to have to trust in God. Why? Right? there's no other way it's it's a faith and what is faith faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen you cannot prove it in a test tube you cannot put it down in some sort of formula you can't touch it faith is acting as if a thing is so when it isn't in order that it might be so because he (laughs) said so remember that's brought out every time we turn around now Explaining to us what faith is so that we can understand enough with our spiritual insight and spiritual understanding to claim it for ourselves. Faith is acting as if a thing is so when it doesn't seem to even be so. It doesn't even seem to be possible in order that it might be so because God said so. Now, if He said your troubled hearts can be at rest if you trust in Me, then why aren't we trusting in Him so that our troubled hearts can be at rest? We just keep on fretting, fussing, fuming, right on through life. We're going to paddle our way if it kills us. We're going to get to heaven. We probably will. If you're born again, there are going to be a lot of born-again Christians who are going to just paddle their way until they're just exhausted by the time they get there when he didn't mean for it to be that kind of struggle. He meant for it to be a faith walk through the rest of this life, through this world. It meant, he meant for us to go through this with confidence and assurance that He's taking care of our every needs all along the way, that even when we share his, his grace and His love with other people, He'll give us the words to do it. We don't even have to fret and fume about that, do we? He'll give us the word of our testimony. He'll give us a peace and a serenity in spite of what the circumstances are. We, I was riding over with Mary and Leela this morning. And Lila was saying, you know, I have I've never cried one place. I don't cry we were talking about crying She said one place. I don't cry is at the funeral of a Christian and She said at the funeral of a Christian I know where they are and I cannot shed tears and she was sharing She said I would cry at my father's funeral because he's not saved. I would cry But I would not cry if my mother died today Because I know she would be delivered from a life of pain. She's had on earth And I was sharing with her that this is a lesson all of us need to learn because just over a year ago, my mother died and we were very um, children who were raised by a domineering mother and we were always taught all our lives that we were to... And that's kind of tough to lose a mother, you you know, when you've been raised to believe that you can't do without them, you know. But the strange thing happened when she died. Instead of a panic, instead of fear, instead of tears and all that, all that was rushing through mine and laddie's and debbie's hearts and this is true was bless the lord on my soul and all that's within me bless his holy name and that kind of peace that kind of peace was so contagious when we got to brookhaven and she was already dead and everybody had disintegrated it seemed like the whole place had fallen apart over my mother who was a christian they were falling apart at the seams and we walked in with no tears a smile on our faces and the whole place it was just like something beautiful happened. You know, when when at least one person has confidence in what God said was actual. Now, listen to what he said, because he tells us right here things that we're going to need to know in order to have a peace like that no matter what happens. He said, trust in God, trust also in me. It's not enough just to trust in God. There are many people, there are many good people, many people of other religions who are trusting in God. You know, they believe God is is a, an actual supreme being but they leave the sun out of it see they leave the necessity uh, of trust in the sun out of it and they'll have no permanence as far as eternity is concerned, and they'll have no rest while they're here. It says, there are many dwelling places in my Father's house. The picture here is, is not so much of, of our getting to heaven, and there's a Biltmore Mansion for each one of us. If you've been to North Carolina and you've seen the Biltmore Mansion, you know, King Ludwig's castle is probably not what the design is for us when we get to heaven. It's more like the Father's house. The Father's house is heaven. Heaven is the Father's house. And when we get there, it's more like one splendid apartment complex, one splendid apartment building with many, many abiding places, many resting places within that one big splendid apartment building. And we're all going to be together in the Father's house, see? We're not going to be separated, each one of us with our own big mansion. We're all going to be together in the Father's house. And you know what it is when you go home for Christmas to the Father's house. You know what it's like? And you go in, oh, what a welcome Boy, I don't care whether you live 10 miles away, 100 miles away, 1,000 miles away. Each child who comes home has arms opened up for them, and they're so welcome. The father's so glad to see them. The mother's so glad to see them. Yeah, you know, the parents are just thrilled that the children have come home. Well, this is what it's going to be like when we get there. How are we going to cry over somebody we know to be born again when we know that, that when one day we're all going to be together in that one house? We're all going to have the same welcome. And it's not going to matter whether one is a, a bigger saint than the other. It's not going to matter when we get to the father's house because if you use an earthly analogy, and the heavenly analogy is always much better than the earthly, when we go home, it doesn't matter which of the children accomplished more in life. It doesn't really matter to my parents. And I even go back to my grandmother who had more children than, than mother did and was more, more spiritual than my mother was. And I remember that it seemed like when we got to my grandmother's house, it seemed like her arms were open wider for the one who had the toughest time. You know, for the one who didn't accomplish very much, who seemed to be the black sheep of the family. And it seemed like she took special pains and went to special kinds of, of lengths to open those arms wider and make them know that if, of all the places in this world, they were loved, it was at her mother, their mother's house. Their mother accepted them like they were. And where they were welcomed in with open arms. All right, here's the picture. We don't know a lot about heaven. Jesus said a lot of more, more about how to get to heaven than he did about heaven itself. So you just have to fill in a few places in between if you really want to, to try to get some insight. He told us in here, it's like a big father's house. We're all welcomed into the father's house. He told us that it's a prepared place, right? Go to prepare a place for you. It's a, prepa- it's a place. It's not a state of mind. A state of of some kind of thing that some people say it's a prepared place and it's prepared by jesus we know that much and we know jesus is going to be there and that's heaven right if we know anything at all no matter what it is or what it isn't if jesus is there and we're going to be with him forever it's heaven it's heaven and that's enough for me that's enough for you and I remember the other night when Leela was sharing a testimony and she said, when we, the thrill of my getting to heaven is going to be that Jesus' face is the first one I see clearly. That's beautiful. That's fantastic. Because that's the first time any of us are going to see his face clearly, you know, with eyes that really are open to take in the beauty and the glory of the Son of God. That's the first time for all of us, Leela. You may see him for the first time you know, like physical eyes or something, but we'll see him in his fullness too. And that's heaven. That's heaven. The closer you get to him on the earth, the closer you are to heaven. <laughs> I don't care whether you're 15 or 20 or 40 or 90 or 100. I don't care how old you are, the closer you get to him. If you're very close to him at a very early age, you're that close to heaven. You're that much closer because heaven is Jesus. Heaven is where Jesus is. It's a place. It's a prepared place. It's prepared by Jesus. And he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. And there's one thing you cannot say about Jesus. He never left anybody wondering about it. He told them the facts. He didn't whitewash it. He didn't make it easy. I wish we were more like that today. He said to them, if you follow me, you will deny yourself. You will take up a cross. If you follow me, you give up your life and you take my life on you. And and like Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified to self. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You really live. The first time you ever live is the time you really do away with self, allow the, the Holy Spirit to crucify self. And you live in Christ and his life through you is what really lives. And he said, you know, the, the important thing for you to understand is that I never made this sound like it was going to be a bed of roses if you followed me. It's gotten to where it seems like a bed of roses, doesn't it? And I think what happened all the way through the, early, the beginning of the early church, they understood more of what Jesus was saying all through those years. They knew what persecution was like. They knew what it was to lose family and job and home and, and everything for the sake of Christ and to give everything up to follow him. And things happened when that happened. Things, that, that world, known world, was turned upside down for Christ. And then somebody named Constantine came along and made it popular to become a Christian, to become a member of a church. Do you know that's when it all happened? When Constantine became a Christian emperor in Rome and he said, now everybody join the church. And there were no demands put on them. It was just a popular thing to do. And ever since then, we've made it so easy for people to join a church. We really have. There's been no cross to take up no cross to bear and we go right along living in the world like we were never separated at all from it and that's the reason we're not turning even a community upside down for Christ we're not okay he said I would have told you I told you all the truth I never whitewashed anything and you can believe if I told you the rough side of it and you can believe the good side of it i have gone to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. He didn't just leave it like that. He said, "I'm. N- I'm not only going to expect you to just get there on your own. I'm going to come and take you back myself." And this is certainly a reference to his second coming, because there's no place in the scripture that indicates that when we die, Jesus personally comes and takes our soul. The Bible says that absent from the fle- uh, the body is to be present with the Lord. The only thing that we have that says something about the tra- transference of the soul from this earth to heaven is the account of the beggar. You know where it says the beggar died and he was carried by the angels into the bosom of Abraham? Maybe this will do when we die. Maybe our ministering angels, the final thing they do is carry our souls immediately to be with the Lord. But when he speaks of Jesus coming again, he's speaking of the second coming. And just as surely as he came in the flesh the the first time, as it was declared in the scripture, he will come again. It's mentioned over and over and over and over again. He is coming again. You can count on that. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. That's one thing God can't do. One of the things He can't do. Is lie. So if he, said over, if he said it one time, it had been enough. But he said it over and over and over again. I'm not leaving you helpless and alone, sending the Holy Spirit. And then one day at the end of this church age, I will come again and I'll gather you all to myself. I'll take you home. I'll tell you how to get your soul there. One day I'll even come and usher your bo- your new resurrected bodies right into the presence of the prepared place. Right into the prepared place. Now that's exciting, isn't it? Does that blow your mind? (laughs) It's like you were going to have company. Think about it. You were going to have company. We're going to have company um, next week. A couple of Laddie's cousins are coming to see us. And we just mailed today a a map to them. Now, it's kind of complicated to get around Huntsville, you know, if you've never been here before. And you say, turn to the left here, curve this this street, curves around, then turn. And you get, well, that's kind of hard to get somewhere. If you don't know your way around, it's really difficult. It'd be even more difficult if we hadn't sent them a map. Put a map in the mail, all marked. That ought to get them to our house, right? But wouldn't it have been lovely if I had said, Listen, when you pull in on that highway, stop out there at the Space Museum. Just don't go any further. Don't be troubled at all about getting to my house. I'll come out there and I'll get you. Now, if I went out and got them and I took them personally right over my house, wouldn't have minutes of anxiety, would they? Wouldn't be any need to. They know I know my way home. And this is one picture of Jesus all through the New Testament. It's like a, a forerunner, if you, a one who's gone before us all through Hebrews. We found he's already made the path clear. He's gone ahead of us for a reason, so that we can know he knows the way home. See. and not only will he does he know the way home because he's been by way of life and death and resurrection we're going to be resurrected he was the first fruits but we're going to be resurrected too with new resurrected bodies just like his and he's going to come and personally take us into this prepared place And you know what? All this time, all this time that he's preparing this place for us, do you know the thing that's happening? Not only is he interceding on our behalf, preparing the place, he's yearning for us to be with him. Do you know the scripture tells us that his heart is yearning. All this time he's allowing us to live here because there's a job to be done. And we're the ones, we're the only ones He has to do that job as He lives in us and through us to reach so many more people. His desire, His plan would be that everybody would receive this gift of salvation and live with Him forever and ever. But the only way it can be done right now is if we carry out that commission, that command He gave us, and we share that with enough people so enough can understand and come to know Him in a personal way. He loves the people who are lost right now enough to leave us here even though His heart's yearning. For us to be with Him. That's love. If that isn't love, though He would give anything in the world to have us with Him. He loves us that much. I don't understand that. If you understand that, I wish you'd explain it to me. But the Bible says He loves every child of His so much that His heart is yearning for them to be with Him. That's the reason He yearns so much for us to be in daily fellowship with Him in daily fellowship with him because that's, that's the fellowship that he needs so much. That's what we were all created for in the beginning was to have fellowship with God. And so we need to make sure that all this time we're here and he's there and he's, his spirit is living in and through us, we need to make sure that at least his heart is satisfied in that we are having that daily communion and that daily fellowship with him. That's so important to him. Couldn't we do that much for him while he's preparing a place for us? And going to come again to get us one day. All right, Thomas said, in the midst of all this, now can you imagine how these disciples must put yourself there. Just this, and your, your mind still wants him to stay. Your mind still thinks he's going to set up this kingdom. And he keeps talking about going away. And every now and then, somebody interrupts his discourse with the question, and here's Thomas. It's one thing I admire about Thomas. If he had a doubt, He never kept it to himself and acted like he knew all about it. He never sat there and pretended to be a person full of faith and full of trust. He didn't do that. He always expressed that doubt. But the one thing you learn about him, if you go on and read further (coughs) over, is that that doubt was a healthy doubt, and that doubt was an honest doubt, and that doubt got an answer that caused him eventually to cry out, My Lord and my God. When Jesus said, Thomas, take your, your hand, put it through the holes in my hands. Take your hand, put it through this pierced place in my side. I've done this so that you can, even if you were the only one who doubted that I'm really, truly.
1: I've
2: done gone to this length to keep the scars. So you can prove to yourself, tangibly, that I am really, truly alive. Thomas never did put his hand in the holes. He never did thrust his hand through that side. He cried out, My Lord and my God. And so his honest doubt led him to a place of surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It doesn't matter if you doubt a little bit. As long as that doubt is healthy enough to reach out and search and seek for truth and then to accept it when you get it. Did you know that's the only way we ever find is when we seek and search But every honest seeker, every honest doubter is going to be rewarded. It's going to be rewarded with faith and answers to what they're honestly seeking. It's much better to speak out than it is to just sit there and piously, smugly, act like you, you know, have it all together. When inside your soul is in turmoil because you don't understand anything and you're miserable, but you never let anybody else know it. This and, and I hadn't even thought about this but this came to my mind. It was a brother in law who was dying of cancer and I went to stay a week with him and we stayed up one night till four o'clock in the morning. And, and anybody who knows me knows how I go to sleep at 9 o'clock. I want y'all all to get that. I stayed up till 4 o'clock in the morning reading Scripture to him. He just wanted to hear. He said, the first thing he said was read. And I was a new Christian. Y'all have to remember this. You know, we worry, new Christians worry because we don't know anything. And we see, we don't trust. The Lord said, I'll give you everything you need. You just surrender. That's all He ever asked. I'll give you all that you need to answer whatever comes along and to meet needs when they come upon you. Well, I, I didn't have enough sense not to trust that the Lord would show us because I didn't know the Scripture, and he did. We came to places in the Scripture I had at least researched out, taken a little thing and found out where comfort, you know, heaven, everything I could find on death, everything I could find on anything. So I had them marked. That's okay. The power's in the Word. It doesn't matter if we have them marked. If you know ahead of time, you're going to need them. And so he said, through that, the course of that evening, we read one passage after the other. And he, I said, Sonny, why don't you talk to your minister? He knows so much more about it than I do. And he said, I would never let my minister know how ignorant I am in the Scripture. And that just popped into my mind. But isn't that exactly what this is about? It's stupid to sit in ignorance when there are people around who can help if you just would just let pride go for a minute and go and ask. Ask. I don't understand. Tell, help me. And there's somebody there. God has somebody to help everybody. Okay, then he asked after Thomas, said, Lord, we do not know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And that honest doubt led to the greatest statement I guess Jesus ever made, because he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. Now, I want us to take that for a minute and listen very carefully to what he said, because speaking to a Jewish community, they would have understood maybe a little more than we understand today, because we're looking, we're looking back. We understand, we've got a lot more going for us, because we see what's happened after this, and they didn't. A lot more than our confusion today, as we look back on it, we have it all recorded in the Bible and everything. We have so much more going for us than they did. And Jesus kept talking about going away, and I'm going to show you the way, and where I'm going, you can come. His immediate. Thought was, if you're going somewhere we don't know where you are, how are we going to know the way? Now, all through the Old Testament, if you read carefully, one after the other, the psalmist, Isaiah, one after the other, would say, Show me thy way. You know, I want to walk in your way. Show me the way, and I'll walk in it. All the way through the Old Testament, it's one after the other, reference to the way, the way, the way. Reveal thy way unto me, O Lord, and show me, and I'll walk in it. This was something they understood when they spoke of the way. It was something they needed as far as God was concerned. And the truth, all the way through the Old Testament, he would say one time after the other, one after the other, saint of God would say to him, Show me that truth, open that truth, reveal thy truth to me, and I'll act upon it. And one after the other would say, Life Life, that life that only God can give. This is what I need. So all of these three things were things that the Jewish community was familiar with as far as their search was concerned. And Jesus said, I am the way. You've looked for the way all the, all the time. you Show me, show me your way, God, and I'll accept it. I'll walk in it. I am the way. You walk in me if you want to please the Father, if you want to get to the Father. He would say, you've wanted to know the truth, and you've known it in part. I'm the fullness of truth. I'm the source of truth. If you want truth, you must come to me. There's no other place to go. And then he would say, I am not only a life or a way, a truth, a life. I'm the life. The only life anybody can have is in me. Connie's back first. The other I Am's, the great I Am's, I Am put God in that place. God is the way, the truth, and the life, but God in the Son, and you must keep that in mind. And I want want to share one thing with you that that I've been hanging on to, and you don't know how this has (coughs) burned my fingers for about a month now because I cut it out a month ago knowing we were going to come to this pretty shortly, and I've had to hold on to it and not use it until today. It's Dear Abby's column. Do you read Dear Abby's column? Maybe you ran across this, but it just nearly killed me when I read it. Listen to what it said. Dear Abby, I would like to tell Philadelphia, whose Jewish cousin passed away, not to worry about whether she goes to heaven or not. As a good person, her goodness will precede her no matter where she goes. I came across an article by Reverend in which he said Adolph Eichmann had a better chance to get of getting to heaven than his millions of victims because he believed in Jesus. I cannot imagine myself being in heaven with Eichmann and his co-murderers. If believing in Jesus is the only condition to getting into heaven, I refuse to go there. Signed herself, Connecticut Christian. And my mind... I had to pick myself up off the floor. Signed herself, Connecticut Christian. She's no more a Christian than Adolf Eichmann <laughs> probably was. If believing in Jesus is the only way to get to God the Father in heaven, I don't want to go there. I want you to read this again. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Did you hear that? <laughs> and Abby wrote back, and she said, I wonder where that reverend thinks the millions of Buddhists and Islams go. <laughs> pick myself up again <laughs> off the floor and I thought oh my goodness I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man, he did not say I am a way among many ways he did not say I am a truth among many truths he did not say I am life if you want to find it in me, if you want to find it in somebody else you can find it, he didn't say that and remember one thing, Jesus could not lie that's one thing he couldn't do and he, he made a declarative statement here he said I am the only way to the father, there's no other name under heaven by which a man can call on to be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. Now that's clear. That's dogmatic. And this reminded me also of that. And I've shared this with some of you before. Uh, just this past summer when we were in Jackson at uh, an aunt of Laddie's, and there was a cousin, an enlightened cousin from California oh really, these children of light just, just you know, are sightened and they're in such darkness but this, this daughter came back and the aunt had us for a reason and just as we're sitting at the dinner table where everything is supposed to be digested you know, pretty well she brings up just out of the clear blue sky and of course the only thing about this is this aunt her motives were good I'm sure But it would have been much better if her life had backed up her words. right, I want you to follow that. But out of the clear blue sky, she blurts out, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're saved and you're going to heaven. If you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to hell. Just for no apparent reason, she just blurted this out. And all of us (laughs) nearly fell out at the table. (laughs) You know, I thought, oh, my soul, I have heard some some really strange things in my life, but this beats all. And I didn't know what was coming up, but it hit that sore spot with the daughter. See, apparently the mother had been on her. And the daughter retaliated with everything was in her. And she said, Mother, you cannot be so dogmatic. Man, she just screamed it out. And I, I don't like violence. I don't like violence at all. I just get scared as I'll get out when everybody gets hollering and screaming and everything. She said, You cannot be so dogmatic as to say the only way to get to God and to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And she screamed it. I mean, she really screamed it. She said, There are good people in all world religions who believe in God who are going to get to heaven just like you. Well can you sit there, you know? Because the, the mother was not going to be able to accomplish anything, right? She'd already severed any, any possibility. And I knew I knew there was nobody else at the table, Laddie, but Laddie wouldn't get into a, a thing like that. He's too sane and sensible. So that left me. That really left <laughs> dumb, stupid readers. <Rita. laughs> and there was no way to just let it go. And I think, she, I think she respected me enough to listen to me, if I could do it softly, kindly, you know, and in love. So I, I prayed first, <laughs> very silently. And then I said, Joanne, your mother is not making a dogmatic statement. That statement was made by Jesus. And he was very dogmatic. And I said, what he said was that he was the way, the truth, the life. And nobody comes to the Father unless they come by him. That's dogmatic. But Jesus had the right to be dogmatic because he was not only creator, he was redeemer. And no matter what we are caused or brought to believe in this world, as the devil stalks around saying, children of light, you've been enlightened, everybody's going to get there one day by virtue of the fact that they're good, by virtue of the fact they're a member of a church, by virtue of many, many facts, that doesn't null and void what he said. He said, you come through me or you don't come at all. I think it's really important that we memorize that. I mean, just get it just ingrained so deep down in us that we are not allowed to be fooled as we go along. And we're hearing more and more about schisms and isms and frisms and all of these gosh-awful things and children of light coming up on the scene. I've, I've been confronted with that, and that's, that's the biggest lot of baloney I have ever heard in my whole life. There's no way anybody could swallow that unless they were so, so dense that they had no knowledge of Scripture and no knowledge of anything except their, their theory is that, that all we're supposed to do on this earth is be good to mankind. And if we're real good to mankind, it doesn't matter whether there's life. They're not sure there's life after death. But whether there is or isn't, we've accomplished what we were here for if we're good. Ridiculous. All right, we go back to this statement. Jesus said, I am the way. Now, now try to understand what they're going through because all they're seeing at this minute is by this statement that Jesus made is simply this. That... That his way leading to a cross the next day. Remember that. Try to understand what they're going through. His way was leading to a cross. His truth was rejected by all the religious leaders of his time. Try to keep that in mind. And his life, his life had, had not really seemed to count for very much while he was here. He'd been it was going to be snuffed out in a few hours. And they couldn't see any of the truth behind this statement. But he said, This is the only way you're going to get to the Father. Is by me now now Philip answers next and he said if you knew me you would, Jesus said if you knew me You would know my father too and when he speaks of know, He means by experience to know the father by experience through the Son. from now on you do know him You've seen him and Philip asked. He said you've seen the father is what he said and Philip said show us the father And we ask no more all he wanted to, all he said just give me some kind of tangible thing. Give me a miracle produce the father "...produce the Father, right here, and I'll believe." And he said, "...Lord, show us the Father, and we ask nothing more than something tangible." And Jesus answered, "...Have I been all this time with you, Philip, and you still do not know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, and you still do not know that? You still don't know me?" Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? I am not myself the source of the words I speak. It's the Father who dwells in me doing his own work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else accept the evidence of the the deeds themselves. And he's saying very simply here, Philip, if you had understood anything I said to you in three and a half years, I have said the Father and I are one. There are three personalities within the Godhead, but there's one God, one God, three personalities within the Godhead. None act separately without the other's approval and the party of the other. All three work together, all the way from Old Testament through New Testament to today. Out in the future, they all work together. None goes off on his own and does what he pleases. And so God is, is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Son. That's confusing. I don't understand it, you don't understand it, but that's trust. We must trust the fact that the Bible says that God is one God, but three persons are manifested within the Godhead. And the Son was... Uh, Always showing in everything he said and did he was showing the father. He was showing the spirit So let's look at some ways. They should have seen him in Jesus For instance, God entered into an ordinary home into an ordinary common almost common family And he was not ashamed to do a man's work In, in everything. Jesus did he revealed the father So God the father was not ashamed to be a carpenter. He was not afraid of real work He was not ashamed to be a workman God knows what it is to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. We saw that we read the accounts of his temptation. God the Father knows what we 're going through when we 're tempted because he 's experienced it through the son 's life on this earth. He knows all the pain that we go through in Jesus, we saw God loving even though it brought pain from the very beginning to the end. He know, He showed love in spite of the pain. You know, if we don 't ever love we could I guess we could somehow go off and refuse to care about anybody and be maybe we could protect ourselves from pain. If we enclosed ourselves in a cubicle and kept it all clean and, and everything, and we never got around anybody, we never loved anybody, we never cared, maybe we could, could escape some sort of pain. I don't know. We wouldn't have lived. We would have existed, but we wouldn't have lived. But God showed us that even though loving meant pain, He was willing to love. That was His picture to us. In Jesus, we saw God upon a cross. We saw God the Father willing to die. For us, because he loved us so much, we didn't see him condemning. We didn't see him blasting us. And he could have. I think we would have understood it a lot better if he'd just zapped us real good for our sins. But he didn't. He loved us in spite of our sins. It said that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that he loved us so much that he gave us the gift of salvation. He paid The gift of God in Christ Jesus was given to us who would believe and accept it. That's what he showed us about the Father when he lived on this earth. He showed us the interest of the Father, of God the Father, in the total needs of men as he ministered to the mind and the body and the soul. He showed us God the Father interested in the total person. Now, all of these things Philip and all the rest should have seen in three and a half years with him. And yet it comes to the very end of that period. And you wonder why he had to put such emphasis upon training and teaching that little nucleus that was going to be the ones who would be the, the center point out of which the gospel would be shared with the world. You see why he had to be so concentrated on teaching them everything he could teach them. Because right up at the very last minute, Philip said, show us the Father. How many times have we read where Jesus said, I and the Father are one? They never heard it. They never heard it. And nobody contradicted Philip here. Nobody jumped up and said, Oh, Philip, don't you know, Jesus said God was, He was, the Father were one. He was acting in accordance with the Father's will all the way through. Nobody understood that. And he says at the very end, after this, he said at the the end of the chapter, the verses we're going to have today, Very, very, I tell you, He who has faith in me will do what I am doing, and he will do greater things still because I'm going to the Father. Uh, greater things because I'm going to the Father. Indeed, anything you ask in my name I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, let's take that just for a minute and then we'll be through. He said, I tell you, those after I'm gone away to the Father, greater things will be done than even have been done... With me here in the flesh all the miracles he's performed and everything like that it sounds ridiculous that he would say greater things than these would be done he wasn't talking about miracles he was not talking about the miracles like the feeding of the 5,000 not one other person has ever done that right have you ever heard of anybody taking a few fishes and barley loaves and feeding 5,000 that wasn't what he was talking about there hasn't been another person who stood in a raging storm and waves and everything and said be still in the name of Jesus and have the storm calm. Have you ever seen anybody do you ever heard of anybody doing that? No, that's not what he was talking about. There hasn't been another person who's come along and, and performed the kind of miracles like he performed as far as the calming of the elements or, or uh, feeding the 5,000 or turning water into wine. Have you ever seen anybody take water and turn into wine since then? not another person we know of has turned water into wine so that's not what he was talking about what he was talking about in his purpose for coming was to reveal the father to reveal the father So that in the revelation of the Father in the Son, we could see the love of God, the wooing of the Spirit, the wooing to himself, the winning to himself. We could see all this, and all of this would accomplish his purpose for coming, which was to save his people from their sins, to deliver them from their sins. So this is what he's saying to us, and look what happened. While Jesus was alive in three and a half years, he never left the land of Palestine. He was confined in flesh. As far as geography was concerned, as far as the physical limitations were concerned, and that little band—one Jesus, and twelve disciples—and all that was accomplished in three and a half years were maybe five hundred believers, real true believers. That's about all we had at Pentecost before Pentecost, right? There weren't many, and that's not real good records in anybody's book today for a three and a half year revival, right? And so that was not what he was ta- What he was saying was that as I go back and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you and that power is given to you to witness in my name and to reach out into the world, greater, greater will be the opportunity of revealing the Father in the person of the Son to the world. Greater works, the revelation of the Father, true perfect revelation of the Father and the Son. That's our job. That's our task. It's to reveal the Father, to reveal his love, to reveal his uh, propitiation for sin, to reveal his plan and the man behind the plan, whatever you all of these things are the things he's saying would be greater. And within the first century, do you know that the known Roman world was almost turned upside down for Jesus? That never happened in the three and a half years he was on earth. The known world, only Palestine heard and was affected by his ministry but as the power came at the day on the day of Pentecost believers were empowered from within and went out with a true unwatered down gospel the crucified resurrected Christ that's what they preached and that was much more effective than the living in the flesh Christ it was And when they went out and said he was crucified for our sins, he was buried and he was raised again on the third day, something pricked within the hearts and the consciousness of men and within a matter of just a few years, pagan temples were closed, shut down. Prostitution was affected in the temples of the pagan gods. The whole community, the world was turned upside down. And what's happened? We've still got the same commission. We've still got the same power. We've still got it all, and we haven't even turned Huntsville upside down. And there are lots of born-again Christians here with plenty of power. But we're just keeping it to ourselves, just like we've got something precious we're going to keep to ourselves. And it's not right. It's not right. I want you to write this down. To ask in his name means to ask within his will. He always says, ask in my name. And we think if we just say in Jesus' name we get anything we want. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. And there's a program I've watched on television that's making the biggest mockery out of this I've ever seen in my whole life. There was even a woman one day who said, uh, "We agreed together that I needed a coat, and I didn't even ask for a coat. I asked for a full-length mink." That's that's making an abomination. Out of what he said when he said, "Agree together on earth, and I 'll answer it when you ask it in my name. He always said in my name in my name, and to ask in the name of Jesus means to ask within his will, within his will and purpose. it means to ask by his authority. when it said a name of a person, it means the totality of that person, his authority, his will, his purpose. you see what that eliminates. It said, upon the basis of His work as Redeemer and for the glory of both the Father and the Son, all of that is entailed in asking in the name of Jesus. Do you know what we ask for when we ask for a full-length mint cut? We ask in the name of self. We do. We don't ask in the name of Jesus. We ask, this petition is made God in my name. And it's not honored. It's not honored. And we wonder, we're being told, I hear that man telling one television viewing audience after the other all you have to do is agree with one other person and no matter what you ask for It's going to be done has nothing to do with whether it's his will Has nothing to do with whether it's his authority being exercised it has nothing to do with anything And it'll cause the biggest mess among the television viewing audience than you've ever seen in your (coughs) whole life Because there will be people who will turn away from God because theirs didn't get answered It's true Hey, let's pray. Anybody got anything you want to? I've done to this thing to keep the stars so you can prove to yourself tangibly that I am really, truly really alive. Thomas never did put his hand in the holes. He never did thrust his hand through that side. He cried out, my Lord and my God. And so his honest doubt led him to a place of surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It doesn't matter if you doubt a little bit. As long as that doubt is healthy enough to reach out and search and seek for truth, and then to accept it when you get it. Did you know that's the only way we ever find? Is when we seek and search. But every honest seeker, every honest doubter, is going to be rewarded. It's going to be rewarded. With faith and answers to what they're honestly seeking. It's much better to speak out than it is to just sit there and piously, smugly act like you, you know, have it all together when inside your soul is in turmoil because you don't understand anything and you're miserable, but you never let anybody else know it. This and, and I haven't even thought about this, but this came to my mind. It was a brother-in-law who was dying of cancer and I went to stay a week with him And we stayed up one night till 4 o'clock in the morning... And, and anybody who knows me knows how I go to sleep at 9 o'clock. I want y'all all to get that. I stayed up till 4 o'clock in the morning reading Scripture to him. He just wanted to hear. He said, The first thing he said was read, and I was a new Christian. Y'all have to remember this. You know, we worry, new Christians worry because we don't know anything. And we, see, we don't trust. The Lord said, I'll give you everything you need. You just surrender. That's all He ever asked. I'll give you all that you need to answer whatever comes along and to meet needs when they come upon you. Well, I, I didn't have enough sense not to trust that the Lord. Lord would show us, because I didn't know the scripture, and he did. We came to places in the scripture I had at least researched out, taken a little thing and found out where comfort, you know heaven, everything I could find on death, everything I could find on anything. So I had them marked. That's okay. The power's in the Word. It doesn't matter if we have a marked. If you know ahead of time, you're going to need them. And so he said, through that, the course of that evening, we read one passage after the other. And he, I said, Sonny, why don't you talk to your minister? He knows so much more about it than I do. And he said, I would never let my minister know how ignorant I am in the Scripture. that just popped into my mind. But isn't that exactly what this is about? It's stupid to sit in ignorance when there are people around who can help. If you just would just let pride go for a minute and go and ask. Ask. I don't understand. Tell me. Help me. And there's somebody there. God has somebody to help everybody. Okay. Then he asked after Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And that honest doubt led to the greatest statement I guess Jesus ever made because he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now I want us to take that for a minute and listen very carefully to what he said because speaking to a Jewish community, they would have understood maybe a little more than we understand today because we're looking, we're looking back. We understand, we've got a lot more going for us because we see what's happened after this and they didn't. So their confusion, I can understand a lot more than our confusion today as we look back on it. We have it all recorded in the Bible and everything. We have so much more going for us than they did. And Jesus kept talking about going away and I'm going to show you the way and where I'm going, you can come. His immediate thought was if you're going somewhere we don't know where you are how are we going to know the way now all through the Old Testament if you read carefully one after the other the psalmist Isaiah one after the other would say "Uh, show me that walk in your way show me the way and I'll walk in it all the way through the Old Testament it's one after the other reference to the way the way the way Reveal Thy way unto me, O Lord, and show me, and I'll walk in it. This was something they understood when they spoke of the way. It was something they needed, as far as God was concerned. And the truth, all the way through the Old Testament, He would say one time after the other, one after the other. Saint of God would say to Him, "Show me Thy truth. Open Thy truth. Reveal Thy truth to me, and I'll act upon it." And one after the other would say, "Life." life that life that only God can give this is what i need so all of these three things were things that the jewish community was familiar with as far as their search was concerned and jesus said i am the way you've looked for the way all the, all the time you said show me show me your way god and i'll accept it i'll walk in it i am the way you walk in me if you want to please the father if you want to get to the father He would say, you've wanted to know the truth, and you've known it in part. I'm the fullness of truth. I'm the source of truth. If you want truth, you must come to me. There's no other place to go. And then he would say, I am not only a life or a way, a truth, a life. I'm the life. The only life anybody can have is in me. Connie's back first. The other I am's the great I am's I am put God in that place God is the way the truth and the life but God in the Son, and you must keep that in mind and I want, want to share one thing with you that that I've been hanging on to and you don't know how this is burned my fingers for about a month now because I cut it out a month ago knowing we were going to come to this pretty shortly, and I've had to hold on to it and not use it until today. It's Dear Abby's column. Do you read Dear Abby's column? Maybe you ran across this, but it just nearly killed me when I read it. Listen to what it said. Dear Abby, I would like to tell Philadelphia, whose Jewish cousin passed away, not to worry about whether she goes to heaven or not. As a good person, her goodness will precede her no matter where she goes. I came across an article by Reverend, in which he said Adolf Eichmann had a better chance to get of getting to heaven than his millions of victims because he believed in Jesus. I cannot imagine myself being in heaven with Eichmann and his co murderers if believing in Jesus is the only condition to getting into heaven. I refuse to go there. Signed herself Connecticut Christian, and my mind, I had to pick myself up off the floor. Signed herself Connecticut Christian. She's no more a Christian than Adolf Eichmann (laughs) probably was. If believing in Jesus is the only way to get to God the Father in heaven, I don't want to go there. I want you to read this again. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Did you hear that? (laughs) And Abby wrote back and she said, I wonder where that reverend thinks the millions of Buddhists and Islams go. (laughs) I picked myself up again (laughs) off the floor, and I thought, oh my goodness, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man, he did not say, I am a way among many ways. He did not say, I am a truth among many truths. He did not say, I am life, if you want to find it in me, if you want to find it in somebody else, you can find it. He didn't say that. And remember one thing, Jesus could not lie. That's one thing he couldn't do. And he, he made a declarative statement here. He said, I am the only way to the Father. There's no other name. Under heaven, by which a man can call on to be saved, except the name of Jesus Christ. Now, that's clear. That's dogmatic. And this reminded me also of that. And I've shared this with some of you before. Uh, Just this past summer when we were in Jackson at uh, an aunt of laddies And there was a cousin an enlightened cousin from California. Oh, really these children of light Just just you know are something else because they've been so enlightened and they're in such darkness But this this daughter came back and the aunt had us for a reason where everything is supposed to be digested You know pretty well She brings up just the clear blue sky and of course the only thing about this is this aunt. her motives were good I'm sure but it would have been much better if her life had backed up her words. All right? I want you to follow that. But out of the clear blue sky, she blurts out, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're saved and you're going to heaven. If you reject Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to hell. Just for no apparent reason, she just blurted this out. And all of us fell out at the table. You know, I thought, oh, my soul, I have heard some... Some really strange things in my life, but this this beats all. And I didn't know what was coming up, but it hit that sore spot with the daughter. See, apparently the mother had been on her. And the daughter retaliated with everything was in her. And she said, Mother, you cannot be so dogmatic. Man, she just screamed it out. And I I don't like violence. I don't like violence at all. I just get scared as I will get out when everybody gets hollering and screaming and everything. She said, you cannot be so dogmatic as to say the only way to get to God and to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And she screamed it. I mean, she really screamed it. She said, there are good people in all world religions who believe in God who are going to get to heaven just like you. Well, can you sit there? You know, because the the mother was not going to be able to accomplish anything. Right? She'd already severed any, any possibility. And I knew, I knew there was nobody else at the table. Laddie, but Laddie wouldn't get into a, a thing like that. He's too sane and sensible. So that left me. That really left dumb, stupid readers. And there was no way to just let it go. And I think she, I think she respected me enough to listen to me. If I could do it softly, kindly, you know, and in love. So I, I prayed first, <laughs> very silently. And then I said, Join, your mother is not making a dogmatic statement. That statement was made by Jesus. And he was very dogmatic. And I said, what he said was that he was the way, the truth, the life. And nobody comes to the Father unless they come by him. That's dogmatic. But Jesus had the right to be dogmatic. Because he was not only creator, he was redeemer. And no matter what we are caused or are brought to believe in this world, as the devil stalks around saying, children of light, you've been enlightened, everybody's going to get there one day by virtue of the fact that they're good, by virtue of the fact they're a member of a church, by virtue of many, many facts, that doesn't null and void what he said. He said, you come through me or you don't come at all. I think it's really important that we memorize that. I mean, just get it just ingrained so deep down in us that we are not allowed to be fooled as we go along. And we're hearing more and more about schisms and isms and frisms and all of these gosh-awful things and children of light coming up on the scene. I've, I've been confronted with that. And that's, that's the biggest lot of baloney I have ever heard in my whole life. There's no way anybody could swallow that unless they were so, so dense that they had no knowledge of Scripture. And no knowledge of anything except their, their theory is that, that all we're supposed to do on this earth is be good to mankind. And if we're real good to mankind, it doesn't matter whether there's life. They're not sure there's life after death. But whether there is or isn't, we've accomplished what we were here for if we're good. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. All right. We go back to this statement. Jesus said, "I am the way." Now, now, try to understand what they're going through because all they're seeing at this minute is by this statement that Jesus made is simply this: that that his way. He said, "I am the way." His way was leading to a cross the next day. Remember that. Try to understand what they're going through. His way was leading to a cross. His truth was rejected by all the religious leaders of his time. Try to keep that in mind, and his life. His life had had not really seemed to be, it was going to be snuffed out in a few hours. And they couldn't see any of the truth behind this statement. But he said, this is the only way you're going to get to the Father. Is by me now, now. Philip answers next, and he said, If you knew me, you would Jesus said, If you knew me, you would know my father too. And when he speaks of no, he means by experience to know the father by experience through the son from now on. You do know him, you've seen him. And Philip asked, He said, You've seen the father, is what he said. And Philip said, Show us the father, and we ask no more. All he wanted, to, all he said, just give me some kind of tangible thing, give me a miracle, produce the father. Produce the Father right here, and I'll believe. And he said, Lord, show us the Father, and we ask nothing more than something tangible. And Jesus answered, Have I been all this time with you, Philip, and you still do not know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, and you still do not know that? You still don't know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? I am not myself the source of the words I speak. It's the Father who dwells in me doing his own work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else accept the the, uh, the evidence of the deeds themselves. And he's saying very simply here, Philip, if you had understood anything I said to you in three and a half years, I have said the Father and I are one. There are three personalities within the Godhead, but there's one God, one God, three personalities within the Godhead. None acts separately without the other's approval and with the authority of the other. All three work together, all the way from Old Testament through New Testament to today. Out in the future, they all work together. None goes off on his own and does what he pleases pleases and so God is is the father God is the son God is the Holy Spirit the son is not the Father. the father is not the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is not the son that's confusing I don't understand it you don't understand it but that's trust we must trust the fact that the Bible says that God is one God but three persons are manifested within the Godhead and the son was uh, always showing in everything he said and did he was showing the father he was showing the spirit so let's look at some ways they should have seen him in Jesus for instance, God entered into an ordinary home, into an ordinary, common, almost common family. And he was not ashamed to do a man's work. In, in everything Jesus did, he revealed the Father. So God the Father was not ashamed to be a carpenter. He was not afraid of real work. He was not ashamed to be a workman. God knows what it is to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. We saw that. We read the accounts of his temptation. God the Father knows what we're going through when we are tempted because He's experienced it through the Son's life on this earth. He knows all the pain that we go through. In Jesus we saw God loving, even though it brought pain from the very beginning to the end. He know he showed love in spite of the pain. You know, if we don't ever love, we could I guess we could somehow go off and refuse to care about anybody and be maybe we could protect ourselves from pain. If we enclosed ourselves in a cubicle and kept it all clean and and everything, and we never got around anybody, we never loved anybody, we never cared, maybe we could, could escape some sort of pain. I don't know. We wouldn't have lived. We would have existed, but we wouldn't have lived. But God showed us that even though loving meant pain, He was willing to love. That was His picture to us. In Jesus, we saw God upon a cross. We saw God the Father willing to die. For us, because he loved us so much, we didn't see him condemning, we didn't see him blasting us, and he could have. I think we would have understood it a lot better if he'd just zapped us real good for our sins. But he didn't. He loved us in spite of our sins. It said that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That He loved us so much that He gave us the gift of salvation. He paid the wages of our sins. The gift of God in Christ Jesus was given to us who would believe and accept it. That's what He showed us about the Father when He lived on this earth. He showed us the interest of the Father, of God the Father, and the total needs of men as He ministered to the mind and the body and the soul. He showed us God the Father interested in the total person. Now, all of these things Philip and all the rest should have seen in three, and yet it comes to the very end of that period. And you wonder why he had to put such emphasis upon training and teaching that ones who would be the, the center point out of which the gospel would be shared with the world. You see why he had to be so concentrated on teaching them everything he could teach them? Because right up at the very last minute, Philip said, Show us the Father. How many times have we read where Jesus said, I and the Father are one? They never heard it. They never heard it. And nobody contradicted Philip here. Nobody jumped up and said, Oh, Philip, don't you know Jesus said God was... He was... The Father were one. He was acting in accordance with the Father's will all the way through. Nobody understood that. And he says at the very end, after this, he said at the the end of the chapter, the verses we're going to have today, Very, very, I tell you, He who has faith in me will do what I am doing, and he will do greater things still because I'm going to the Father. Uh, greater things because I'm going to. the Father. Indeed, anything you ask in my name I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now let's take that just for a minute and then we'll be through. He said, I tell you... After I'm gone away to the Father, greater things will be done than even have been done with me here in the flesh. All the miracles he's performed and everything like that. It sounds ridiculous that he would say greater things than these would be done. He wasn't talking about miracles. He was not talking about the miracles like the feeding of the 5,000. Not one other person has ever done that, right? Have you ever heard of anybody taking a few fishes and barley loaves and feeding 5,000? That wasn't what he was talking about. There hasn't been another person who stood in a raging storm and waves and everything and said, be still in the name of Jesus and had the storm come. Have you ever seen anybody do that? you ever heard of anybody doing that? No, that's not what he was talking about. There hasn't been another person who's come along and, and performed the kind of miracles like he performed as far as the calming of the elements or, or uh, feeding the 5,000 or turning water into wine. Have you ever seen anybody take water and turn into wine since then? Not another person we know of has turned water into wine. So that's not what he was talking about. What he was talking about in his purpose for coming was to reveal the Father, to reveal the Father, So that in the revelation of the Father in the Son, we could see the love of God, the wooing of the Spirit, the wooing to himself, the winning to himself. We could see all this, and all of this would accomplish his purpose for coming, which was to save his people from their sins, to deliver them from their sins. So this is what he's saying to us, and look what happened. While Jesus was alive in three and a half years, he never left the land of Palestine. He was confined in flesh. As far as geography was concerned as far as the physical limitations were concerned and that little band one Jesus and twelve disciples and all that was accomplished in three and a half years were maybe 500 believers real true believers that's about all we had at Pentecost before Pentecost right there weren't many and that's not real good records in anybody's book today for a three and a half year revival right and so that was not what he was ta- What he was saying was that as I go back and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you and that power is given to you to witness in my name and to reach out into the world, greater, greater will be the opportunity of revealing the Father in the person of the Son to the world. Greater works, the revelation of the Father, true perfect revelation of the Father in the Son. That's our job. That's our task. It's to reveal the Father, to reveal his love, to reveal his uh, propitiation for sin, to reveal his plan, and the man behind the plan, whatever you, all of these things are the things he's saying would be greater. And within the first century, do you know that the known Roman world was almost turned upside down for Jesus? That never happened in the three and a half years he was on earth. The known world, only Palestine heard and was affected by his ministry. But as the power came at the day, on the day of Pentecost, believers were empowered from within and went out with a true, unwatered-down gospel. The crucified resurrected Christ. That's what they preached. And that was much more effective than the living in the flesh Christ. It was. And when they went out and said he was crucified for our sins, he was buried and he was raised again on the third day, something pricked within the hearts and the consciousness of men, and within a matter of just a few years, Roman pagan temples were closed, shut down. Prostitution was affected in the temples of the pagan gods. The whole community down. And what's happened? We've still got the same commission. We've still got the same power. We've still got it all, and we haven't even turned Huntsville upset. There are lots of born-again Christians here with plenty of power. But we're just keeping it to ourselves, just like we've got something precious we're going to keep to ourselves. And it's not right. It's not right. I want you to write this down. to ask in his name means to ask within his will. He always says, ask in my name. And we think if we just say, in Jesus' name, we get anything we want, that's not what he's saying. (laughs) That's not what he's saying at all. And there's a program I've watched on television that's making the biggest mockery out of this I've ever seen in my whole life. There was even a woman one day who said, uh, we agreed together that I needed a coat, and I didn't even ask for a coat. I asked for a full-length mink. That's, That's making an abomination. Out of what he said when he said, "Agree together on earth, and I'll answer it when you ask it in my name. He always said in my name in my name, and to ask in the name of Jesus means to ask within his will, within his will and purpose, it means to ask by his authority. When it said a name of a person, it meant the totality of that person, His authority, his will, his purpose. you see what that eliminates? It said, upon the basis of His work as Redeemer and for the glory of both the Father and the Son, all of that is entailed in asking in the name of Jesus. Do you know what we ask for when we ask for a full-length mint cut? We ask in the name of self. We do. We don't ask in the name of Jesus. We ask, this petition is made God in my name. And it's not honored. It's not honored. And we wonder, we're being told, I hear that man telling one Television viewing audience after the other all you have to do is agree with one other person and no matter what you ask for It's going to be done it has nothing to do with whether it's his will Has no, nothing to do with whether it's his authority being exercised it has nothing to do with anything And it'll cause the biggest mess Among the television viewing audience than you've ever seen in your whole life Because there will be people who will turn away from God because theirs didn't get answered It's true Okay, let's pray. Anybody got anything you want to...